Hello. What? The weather? Amazing. I know. I, know. I, I could see the shock straight away then. You're just going, what? I don't know. What's going on? Why is it hot? It's great. Beautiful. It is. It's lovely, isn't it? Good morning, everybody. Hello. Bank doing? holiday as well. Usually it's fucking hammering it down or snowing. Dude, is that bank holiday, is that like something... That's just in like English territories, like the Commonwealth, or is that? Like I don't fucking know. <laughs> it just means an extra day off. That's all I give a shit about. What are you gonna do with your day this afternoon? Um, well, I'm going out for some food in a, in a bit, but I'll have a few drinks. But I was meant to work tomorrow, but I'm I haven't got the geezer's uh, number, so I'm gonna not call him and just not turn up. So you're just having a, a black day. Well, yeah. Well, it's you know I can do what I want because you know I'm Cause self-employed. You're the man. I'm self-employed. I can do what the hell I want. But it's bank holiday, so hopefully he's got it into his little thick skull. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I, hope he doesn't around. I doubt it. Well, you won't be going around now. He's about 68, 69. So, no, probably not. I mean, he might do. I don't know. If he does. All right, mate. Yeah, when you're, that, when you're that age, bank, it's every, every day is a bank holiday. Yeah. Well, hey. It is, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. You're tired. Yeah. You're so you probably have a moan, because that's what they like. They don't like a good moan, old people. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Excuse <laughs> <laughs> Right, have you got any shout-outs, Rob? We've got quite a few again to get through here. Um, the world. So we're going to batter through him. Farman, Chrissy Powers. What a name, man. Chrissy Powers, that's bro- brother of Austin. Yeah, hopefully. Um, <laughs> Nabs, Alfrey, Killick, Amit, Martin, Andre, Dickin-Mouth. Hey. Well, I put mouth at the end of it. Yeah, Dickin-Mouth. Well, yeah, he's got to go. Bossa James, what a great name. Bossa James? Yeah, James DeGrell, Kenny, Ryan, Karen Malley, Adina, Kevin... Dear Peter Hall, Joe Carnes, Brad Mesmer. We had a chat with him on um, on uh, Facebook. God, I sound my voice sounds deep today. You were drinking hard last night. Or? Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's bank holiday, isn't it? Yeah, too right. Uh, J J David Lloyd Edwards. That is literally the Queen's Butler, I think. Yeah. Janet Tipton from Tipton. Tim Tom Norton, Simon McCormick. Yeah. Dean John. Ego Sum, what a brilliant name. Ego Sum. Ego Sum, Ego Sum. Uh, Sean, Matt Nixon, James Thompson Thompson. Thompson Thompson, is you related to that um, fucking like your triathlon pa- thing? Yeah, what was run? the name? Jenny Thompson, I don't know, fucking name. Your parents were cruel, mate. Who, mine? Tom- Thomas Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I used to get abused. Liam Lockwood, <laughs> David Hind, George Moore, Wayne, Jim, Rick Robson, Christy S. Bates. That's a bit porn starish, I think. Christy S. Bass. Yeah, I like that one. Okay. Um, uh, there was a really cool name as well, but it was written in Arabic. There's no way, zero chance that I could even begin to translate what that was. I'm going to call that person. Fool. Was it a male, fem- female? Do we know? I don't know. Don't know. I, can't, I couldn't tell. Okay, well, I'm going to have to think of a name now, which is like both. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm lost. I'm just going to call call that one Timmy. T- what you can do, yeah. Timmy. Timmy. And well done, also, Timmy. You, you, you lot have come forward, and uh, after last week's epiphany of you sending in your voice messages, yeah, we've had some. We've had quite a few, haven't we? We've had uh, quite a lot, actually. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through a few today. Not all of them, just a few. But we will, we will play every single one at some point. So it's just a case. Tom. How's it going? This is Dennis Nielsen speaking to you from inside my prison cell. Actually, of course it's not. It's me, Captain Lieutenant Paul Sparrow. How's it going, wankers? It's a nice one. It's a nice one. Cheers, Paul. Thank you uh, for your amazing suggestion of uh, all these uh, voice recordings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me joking, yeah, yeah. Ben. It's, we, it's all yours. It's all uh, yours. It was your idea. So, yeah, well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. Well, I've got to go through my um, 
my messages through Facebook to pick these up because I mean obviously we've got a uh, you know a high high tech solution to uh, to playing these well, messages. Yes, definitely at the minute it's, you know we it's it's just the way it is. You know what I mean? We just, we just need to get ourselves some decent gear. So. I think um I think these messages are going to keep coming in. Yeah, I think so. I, I think, think that <laughs> <laughs> we seem to be getting sort of two or three a day, don't we? You know what I mean? So it's a uh, some of them are <laughs> you, you can tell some of them have been on on the Raz. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, the they all have been. So what I've got to try and do now is get into my goddamn phone. Good work. Yeah, good this work. is very professional, as you can tell everyone. We could talk about something else while yeah. I'm doing this. I could do an interlude. We could talk about something completely different while while we're fanning about. The monkeys from Mars. The monkeys from Mars. Yeah. What are the monkeys from? Is that like a theory? It's just yours? something that's just come to my head. Yeah, I reckon there could be monkeys in the cave. You know, in the, the was it that universe button or what? Oh, caves! I went down a cave, mate. I went down a cave uh, in Torquay. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I saw yeah, mate. Did it was insane. Did you actually pick up the skull? Was that you picking up the skull? No, that was a, that was another bloke's hand. Bastard. Four hundred thousand year old Neanderthal skull. Yeah, I wouldn't trust you picking up the skull. Or me, I'd pick it up and just go, slam, yeah! <laughs> just made a bit, just run. Yeah! But you know. Them, them caves were incredible. They were like, the, the bloke was blowing my mind. The tour guide was, he told us like, this, this cave system that you're standing in. Did, did you actually do any work in Torquay? Were you work, t- working in Torquay? No. Oh, right, I thought you were working. Seeing the rallies and drinking booze. Oh, right, okay, fair enough. I thought, I thought you were doing work. I was thinking... All the pictures and shit I've seen. Like you're not work, working. No, I wasn't working at Sticking all. some aircon in there. <laughs> in well, the, the cave. Bloke in the cave. The geezer was telling us. He said, like this rock, this uh, cave system that you're currently standing in was formed 350 million years ago, 3,000 miles away, and it's just been pushed through like tectonic plate movement over the the eons to where it is today. Oh, cool. Makes you feel ridiculously small. Walking through there and realizing how temporary you are. There's like stalactites there, that's a stalagmites that are still growing, that formed, started to form, started to grow before the North Sea had even come into existence. Why are you bring your hammer and chisel in? <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. I was looking at it, he went, that one's 50,000 years old. And the first thing I thought was, I could smash that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to, obviously, but I thought I could smash that. That would be a good episode, wouldn't it? You get one of them, right? You murder someone with one of them. You've been murdered someone with, with a like 400,000 million year old stalactite or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> be a, a weapon and a half. It would be, wouldn't it? We got this fantastic message in uh, yep. from, uh, I think it was Kim Jong-il. Was it? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Oh. Several guys, it's Kim Jong-il. Sorry, Un. Uh, I am now part of the Western world and I started listening to the podcast and I really like it. I really, really, really like your podcast. Uh, I do have to say, though, uh, there have been one podcast uh, in which you talk shit behind my back, and I do not like it, but I forgive you now that I am part of the Western world. Uh, so maybe you could guys come to North Korea, and we could have some wine, or apples, or even potato. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we will see once you get here. Uh, come over. I will not kill you. <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant, that is. So we're reaching out, man. Yeah, we're, man. Our, uh, our goal is, is working. Peace on Earth. That's what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. And we're getting there slowly but surely. And we have another one here. Um, this is from the, um, the smoke break over at Carousel Sniper Victim when they were doing a pissed up breakdown. Uh, I believe we've got Constable the Smoke Cunt break. Constable Cunt on the line. G'day, mate. Constable Cunt. 
you pull your fucking head in, would you? You know, I'm trying to have a smoke and relax in the hills, and you're just hushing my vibe. Oh, it's uh, Jack and Sean here from Carousel Sniper, Victim Podcast. How the fuck you going, mate? Check out Robots, fucking. We love yous. All the love from fucking Perth WA. Smoke or break for Halifax Explosion. Here's Tungstable Cunt signing off. Well, episode, not theirs. Yeah, fucking. Yeah, fuck Robots. Carousel. <laughs> Brill. Awesome. Uh, awesome. Top, top work, lads. Yeah, good work. Can't but you can't beat a bit of a, this. It's brilliant. It's a great idea. Constable Cunt, man. He's the uh, he's the way forward. Yeah, it's proper. It sounds like like a Viz character or something. That does. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Constable Cunt. Is is that something that's like? Is that something that we're unaware of? Or Maybe. It? It <laughs> might be. It might be an Aussie thing. I don't know. You know, they're like a bit weird. And then old um, <laughs> <laughs> a bit. And then we had old Ute Dudley on. Ute. Yeah, old Utah, or as I prefer to call it, Luigi Green. L- Luigi Green. And she was on the piss with uh, Ben Hayes last night. Right. Sending sending videos and more voice messages. Okay. So here we go. This is um this is Luigi. Like that one because you can tell they're just being it, sitting there drinking, hammering back the wine and booze and whatnot, hammering away. Yeah, we, quality. We have got more, but we're uh, we can't keep bombarding you with them. And also, we need to keep them back so we can play them next week. Yeah, because you never know. You know, I mean, there might be something more appropriate to the episode we're doing as well. She's you never know. You never know. So if you want to get involved and literally, we're doing one about cucumbers. Cucumbers. Yeah. At some point. Yeah, we were inspired through the week, <laughs> possibly via a voice message. I think so. Yeah, I think. Should we do one about cucumbers? Can no, it might be a bit boring. Don't we have like, don't we share like... Death by cucumbers? 2% of our genes with a cucumber or something. Probably. Or, or was we, that a banana? No, banana we share like quite, well not high, but it's still quite a lot when you think about it. Oh, it was, it was a banana because when I was on the cave tour, the geezer doing the cave tour was saying, um, we, because they were saying about the Neanderthal bones and shit lying around that we share like 2% of our genes with them. And they said, but, and we were like, ooh, and he goes, but we also share 2% of our genes with bananas. Yeah. So, educational tour, yeah. which can be podcasted as and well. something like, I think, was it chimps? We were closer to chimps, right, than chimps are to gorillas. Probably. We are. Or something like 98.9% or something stupid like that. Or a worm or something. Right so, then. we must have had that super clever 1%. Basically. Yeah, we had the <laughs> percent that <laughs> fucked them over, that tiny little that percent. Little, yeah, raped them, literally. That was the really important part. Yeah. And the if you didn't have that, you was fucked, yo. Yo, yo, yo. Right, yeah. so um, I suppose we better do a an episode because we, we gotta, we're we we up against our time here because we've got to record this and immediately after we record this, we're recording another one. We're going to fly to Australia. Yeah, <laughs> via the marvels of technology across the world on the tinterwebs with your weak and stupid, so... We need to hurry the fuck up, otherwise we're going to hold Get on with it then, stop talking, get on with it, you prick. Let's do it. Incredibly difficult to do. Why? I thought it would be a lot easier than it was. Mm-hmm. I thought it'd be um, not as in depth, easier to explain because we're going to have a look at the uh, Enigma machine. 
Okay. And it turned out to be not taxing, but uh, complete bullfuck. It whatever was, that means. It was just hot bullfuck. Yeah, it was a bullfuck. Yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> so, what, do you know what the Enigma machine is? The, the decoding of the um, well, encryption was actually of, yeah of, was of, of of the what do you call it the signals code, yeah. yeah and all yeah whatever. It was um, a cipher machine. It was designed to encrypt like sensitive messages and keep them secret. That's all it was designed to do. Yeah. It wasn't a single machine. It wasn't one. There were many of them used throughout World War Two to great effect. And essentially, it's a, me- a mechanical device that contains electrical circuitry. And the mechanical part changes the path of electricity through the machine, which would encrypt the signal. Um, and now, mate, today, if you could get... If you had one of these, say if you found did, one did, in a battlefield yeah. and kept it, like a lot of people did shit like that, you'd be minted. Didn't, didn't, um, didn't, it, didn't they destroy it? Yeah, they... Well... They would. I think. No, I think they destroyed it after because it was top secret or something. But then, obviously, they built a replica. Replica. I can't say. No, the word. they, they built a fake one. The bomb machine that they used to decrypt the Enigma signals, which we'll get into in in, in a bit. Yes, that happened to that. And the Enigma machines themselves. No, you can have them as if you've got the money, you can just go and buy one. Oh right, okay. But you can. I saw one on the internet, like um, that was used in battle. Not as a weapon, it was just there, and um, it was complete. I mean, completely fucked, destroyed, mm. smashed to pieces, completely inoperable. Going for twenty grand, it was smeared in yeah. shit. I mean, I mean that adds sort of like you know, it's, yeah, it's got appeal like it's, to yeah. it. Well, yeah, because it's got like a history. It's like it's been like in the trenches or whatnot. But the thing is, as well, how how do you fucking start with that machine? Where, how do you think? Let's try and get the signals and you know and work out what de- decipher the code of what they're saying. Yeah. And make it into sense of what they actually mean. Oh, it's incredible! How the fuck do you how do you do that? It's incredible. How does a machine know where to start on that? It's incredible. It really is insane how they you, did it. In theory, they could just say anything, couldn't they? They could just go beep, bop, and yeah. then and then that machine's got to work out what that means. Yeah. How? Well, it's kind of. Like, we'll get into the actual <laughs> decoding of it, how it worked, but it was incredibly complicated, yeah. and it did sort of take the invention of a sort of a crude form of AI, artificial intelligence, to do this. Um, but yeah, man, it's um, it's impressive stuff. Like mint condition enigmas will go for half a million quid all awesome. day. You know what I mean? A twenty ten years ago, you can get it for twenty grand. Yeah. So uh, you should have spent your money on that if you'd had it. You know what yeah. I mean? Better than Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, massive return. <laughs> <laughs> and there were loads of them dotted around combat theaters during World War Two. Estimates are approximately a hundred thousand were made. Okay. Uh, and it was invented by a German dude called Arthur Scubius at the end of World War One, And it was originally designed to help with the encryption, transmission, and reception of sensitive classified messages in the business world and the political world. Okay. It wasn't a war tool. It, okay. was, it was just designed to keep shit away from people that you didn't want to see. Mm. It was an amazing machine. It was so good at encryption that in all its uses before World War Two. No messages, not a single one had ever been fully decoded. Now, knowing this and seeing the the potential, uh, it was adopted by the German military. Yeah. Because they knew, fuck me, man, this is a weapon. This really could be used as a weapon here. Yeah. Now, we were given one straight after World War One by, by the Polish, and I think they kind of sensed 
something might be going down uh, regarding the way that the Nazi party were moving. And they were like, man, they've got these fucking mad puzzle boxes here. We need yeah, to yeah. Uh, probably Ship hand one across, these yeah. around just so we can try and get an upper hand on this. Work out what the fuck these puzzle boxes are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they use them continuously to send secret codes which contain important information regarding like um, up-to-date military strategies, shitloads of highly valued information like you know like targets that if if we could intercept and decipher would be massively important mm. to us in, in regards to like countermeasures you know like moving civilians out yeah, yeah. of targeted areas we could even move <coughs> you know like <coughs> beg me uh was uh you can move like tanks out of factories and shit like that so we can um we could be very, very useful. For example, like the nighttime bo- bombing runs by the Nazis would routinely kill multiple thousands of people in the UK. Every single night, this was going on. For instance, in 57 days, London was bombed 56 times by massive amounts of, of aircraft. Hundreds of them were in the skies every single night, dropping literally thousands of tons of bombs on highly populated area. Ah. They didn't give a fuck about collateral damage back then. Civilians were just fair game. And that's why Churchill said that we would fight them from the rooftops. You know, Because if it came to it, if the Nazis tried to inv- invade the UK, it could have easily come to that. You would have had civilians fighting alongside the army to push, to push them back, basically. Like grandmas bashing Nazis with pots and pans. It was that close. Yeah. It really was. And in some, in some respects, it did actually get that bad because c- civilians were on Navy vessels yeah. uh, towards the end <coughs> of the war, yeah. fighting alongside, because they didn't have the crews. Yeah, it's just, yeah. <coughs> it, was, um, it was crazy. And the number of casualties in London alone during the Blitz was, sh- was shocking and, and hard to comprehend by today's war standards. I mean, a death's not good. But when you've got 28,000 556 people being killed in 57 days in one city alone. Fuck. Do you know what I mean? And there was a further 25,000 people wounded. It's, it was different though when it was, it was like the, with the Germans and, and whatnot. They'd just come over, bomb us, think of fuck about civilians. And you've got all these new rules with war, which I don't, I've never understood rules in war because you're, you're there to rinse someone, basically. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So. <laughs> and, and and now these days you can't bomb civilians. You've got to bomb certain you areas and that. do this. <laughs> well, no, it just don't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? It's like the, the thing with the medics in the war. Okay, that was probably the, one of the starts of it, where they're not allowed to shoot a medic. But but they used to be bastards, though, didn't they? Because obviously some of them die. But like they used to see them fixing someone, and as soon as they've sort of finished doing what they do, they just pop them in the face. Yeah, and that's <laughs> pointless. It's you know crazy, what I mean? wasn't it? Yeah, but like it's, it's just stupid rules. But it's brutal. It's like with the chemical warfare thing. Sorry. I'm ranting, starting no. to rant now. Don't matter. You know, with all the bombs and stuff going off. What's the difference between blowing someone up with a bomb, right, and, and gassing someone to death? Yeah. I if know. it's a war zone. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it, does, it's it, may, it, all, it looks a bit rougher, but <laughs> it's the same outcome at the end of the day, isn't it? Everyone's you know I mean? dead. Yeah. That's, that's what, what they wanted. want. That's what they wanted. So, And that's war. So Rob's an advocate of chemical weapons. <laughs> And biological, fuck it. Yeah, Might yeah, as well yeah, use them yeah, as well. Yeah. So you got any nukes? Check them in. <laughs> in that 57 days, the Nazis dropped 16,600 tonnes of bombs on London alone. Mm. It's nuts, isn't it? Yeah. They targeted all, all the big cities as well. Like That's not to mention the infrastructure destroyed, aircraft factories, tank production lines, weapons and ammunition facilities. Well, you still get to this day, don't you? Every couple of months, they go, right, a bit of London's closed down because of World War II bombs being found. You know what I mean? Even yeah. now, you know what I'm I mean? I'm not surprised with the amount that mm. they dropped. Mm. 
I mean, I don't know what it was total through the war, but fuck me. In, in 50 fucking, 50 odd days, mm. nearly 20,000 tonnes of bombs were dropped. It's crazy, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's nuts. It does, like, you can't get your head around it. No. And, and it what, is fucking crazy. And what's really frustrating, the, the guys and the gals on the, on the ground in the military, they were listening to the, the Nazi messages. We could intercept the coded like you know transmissions and listen to them very easily and we did that regularly but the encrypted messages that were being transmitted were being uh, sent in, in morse code okay so it's like basic shit but we didn't know what the fuck the messages meant all all we had when we intercepted the codes was like nonsense in the forms of it didn't mean anything to us at all it was just a stream of random letters and all the while bomb raids were killing thousands of people every single night across the countries uh, for instance again the the nazis wiped out two-thirds of the city of coventry right all of two-thirds of the buildings in a single night yeah this fucking, fucking just destroyed it all yeah and all the while we knew the information needed to mitigate the damage you know and possibly stop it was flowing through the air all around us all the time if we could decipher them them codes the information contained I mean, without a doubt, would have been forwarded to other countries across Europe and the Nazis would be fucked. The tables mm. would have turned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. At its peak, thousands of Enigma-encoded messages were sent daily. The potential was there to save, I mean, you can imagine, millions of lives and end the war, the war early in our favour. It was of the highest level of importance yeah, to, yeah. Uh, to crack these messages. But there were lots of different types of Enigma machines. Like we said at the beginning, it was originally designed to code messages for business and politics. Okay. And obviously the military cottoned on to how brilliant it was and adapted it. And they basically pimped it, fitting what's like um, called a plug board. It was an additional encryption circuit um, that would scramble the messages even more, scramble them before they actually were fed into the message. It would swap the characters around that you entered yeah. in so right. that the message going in was was encrypted before you even put it in. It was a crazy, crazy device. Um, and uh, what they, do you know what they look like, the, the Enigma machines themselves? Mm, um, didn't they look a bit like, um, like key, like, like not keyboards, um, typewriters in a way. Yeah. Little, they were sort of black little typewriter things, weren't they? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go into actually, we'll, we'll wait for a little bit and we'll get into that in a bit. But like this initial pr um, auxiliary plug board that the, the military used looked like, um, I suppose it's like a, a telephone operator's desk, you know, like you can change jack plugs around. Yeah. And that's what they, they use. Uh, that, that plug board that they bolted on to encrypt the messages even further was not available anywhere else other than in the military. It, it was a really secret ship. Mm. Now, the Army, the Navy and the Air Force, they all use different types of Enigma machines as well. The German Navy, for example, encrypted the already encrypted messages. It's like a double fucking, basically. Double, double fuck up. Yeah, yeah. They were yeah. rightfully suspicious and never carried any Enigma machines into battle mm -hmm. intentionally, fearing their capture. For instance, if boats carrying Enigmas did go down, the Nazis would attempt to investigate the wrecks and they would literally go and see what the fuck had happened, fearing that their, their little encryption machines had been... Um, intercepted and taken away yeah and they look like a basically a wooden box with like a typewriter thing in okay and a series of uh, light bulbs and letters that would be illuminated when it when a key is pressed it's a very unremarkable thing to look at yeah um, you think it's going to be something incredible you know what i mean the enigma machine it sounds mental but it's not if you could walk past one in a second hand shop but if you didn't know what you were looking at you wouldn't notice it no 
the uh, the brains of these machines, the real clever part, the bit that encrypted the messages, um, were five sort of different individual mechanical rotors. They're okay. very much like, like, like cogs in a way. Yeah, very right. much like the combination, like dials on a safe. Oh yeah. And they'd spin around as keys were pressed. Uh, like I say, there's five mechanical rotors. Now, in any any single Enigma machine, <clears throat> you could only use three at any time. They were all interchangeable. And these rotors would be swapped out regularly, depending on what instructions had been given by Nazi military command. Now, each one of these rotors is going to get... It gets a bit complicated. Yeah. Each one of these rotors has 26 different settings on. So you've got five rotors, three of which are using the machine at any one time. Okay. And each of the rotors have got 26 settings. <laughs> and they will, this is just how you set it up. So like every time a letter is, is typed into the machine, it goes through the Enigma's rotors and like their crazy electrical cir- circuitry and appears... On the as a letter on a lamp board, okay. Um, and the choices to you of rotors to use in these machines are not random. There's a lot more to these machines, but it's heavy shit and okay. it's quite complicated. Well, it didn't surprise me. It just just even having three cogs with so many bits on it, you know that leads to that leads to literally hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of outcomes. We've got, I've got the number down here in a bit. Oh, is it ridiculous? It's shocking, mate. Um, but like also. It came. It became pretty apparent that the explanation of how Enigma machines worked would be aided with like mechanical wiring diagrams and right. like you know, but and schematics and stuff, which yeah. is not very helpful on a podcast. But all you really need to know is that there were five interchangeable mechanical rotors. Three could be installed in the machine at any one time, mm. and these rotors would alter the path of electricity, thus the message through the machine circuitry, scrambling the codes. If you want more, check out the WWWs, man. Yeah, man. But the Nazis were 100% confident that these coded messages could never be cracked. They were adamant. They were. They didn't even care about you intercepting the messages. They were like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, They're yeah. not going to fucking crack it. Okay, yeah, so they just literally didn't give a shit. They well, were like, we can intercept you, them. You can, yeah, you, can, you can look at them, but you're not going to... Working out, so we'll just send another one. Yeah, the beeps, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the, the yeah. do 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 yeah, yeah. was it all around us. Yeah, we, yeah. But they were like, "Fuck it, yeah. matter. They ain't gonna." They Why did they think it was unbreakable? They had good reason. Well, firstly, Enigma machines didn't send or receive messages. Okay, they couldn't do that. They weren't connected to anything. They weren't connected to like a phone line, not a communication network, nothing. They had no. They had a power source in the form of a battery, and okay. that's what it was. Um, you could use them in fields. You don't have to be in a building or whatever. It's, it's basically like a standalone wooden box with a typewriter machine in. And in some respects, they were dumb. Okay. Because they yeah. didn't really work anything out. They just did what they were told. They're just a puzzle box. Just a very complicated military puzzle box. Yeah. All they did was encrypt the messages typed into them, giving out like a series of random letters in place of the original message. This encrypted code, which looked like nonsense, would then be written down on a piece of paper and transmitted via Morse code to the relevant location on the front line. The Morse code was then written down and typed into another Enigma machine on the front line, which was set up in exactly the same way as the one that encrypted the original message. And then when you typed it in, hey presto, the code appears. Right. It's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah. So obviously we spoke about the five rotors that you could choose from. You can only use three, um, and the Enigmas could be set up in many, many different ways. The amount of different settings 
The amount of different ways these machines were capable of encrypting messages is staggering. Right. This is why the Nazis thought they were unbreakable. Because there's 26 letters in the alphabet, and each one of the three rotors used to scramble the message has 26 settings, <laughs> the potential number for combinations of just settings for coding the messages adds up and is staggering. Now, this is the... The common number that I can find, obviously I can't verify this, but this is the number that I found the most of available settings. It, it has just a, for the settings. Just as for well. the settings. 158 quintillion, 962 quadrillion, 555 trillion, 217 billion, 826 million, 360,000 different set. That's just not the enough. settings. They can't, they're not covering everything there. It's crazy, isn't it? Mate? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I fucking nuts. I read somewhere that that number is larger than the total number of atoms in the observable universe. <laughs> it's insane. And some geezers, well, some geezers come up with this idea. You know what I mean? So it's, it's just nuts. It's just like, it's, what do you do? Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you come up with that? And then you go, do you know what? I'm going to really, really push this and make it go to like whatever that figure was again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, it's, it's like over, a, was it a quintillion? A quintillion, <laughs> couple thousand million quintillion, whatever that is. Well, they the because num the numbers are so huge, they said if we tried to crack the codes just by guessing each setting one by one and working our way through all 158 quintillion of them, you'd need 10 dudes checking one setting a minute for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 20 million years. <laughs> what? You know what I mean? That's why the Nazis were confident. We got it down to, I think, between 15 to 20 minutes in the end, though, which is staggering. I'm, I, I've seen the movie, right? And on the movie, it, it struggled to start with the big the big machine to start with, right? Which defies, does all the codes and all yeah. that. And um, within, he, he lowered it down because it wasn't working properly. I don't know how true this is. It could be Hollywooded up. Um, because it just wasn't working; it was taking forever, and um, it, it cracked it like really quick, like you say, twenty odd minutes. But he was shitting it because he thought I'm gonna have to lower it down; and it's not gonna work. Well, That's yeah, good. The, the film was got. I have watched the film. Um, I like to watch like documentaries and films after I've done like the research because mm. that way it's not. Right, not yeah, Hollywooded up, aren't they? A lot of them. You know what I mean? So well, they did say like you can see um, the Kieran Knightley character in the film. And she's kind of like the lone woman working there. And it, it wasn't like that. There was 12,000 people working at Bletchley Park. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think 8,000 of them were ladies. So that's not strictly, you know, that's just Hollywood, isn't it? It's the same. If it was just one, one perch, fuck it, a whole lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you want to get some help for You've that? You've got 12,000 people's amount of work to do. What? <laughs> Good so luck. <laughs> so like we're saying, um, the, the, set, the way that machines are set up is using the rotors. But how did... Two thousand, like two people, thousands of miles apart, know what rotor settings to use on the Enigmas. I mean, you can't just ring them up no. and call them because, well, that would be foolish. The enemy would hear what you're saying, hear the settings you're using, set their machines up in the same way, and know everything you're being said. So, in order to guarantee all Enigma machines around the world were set up exactly the same at all times, mm. it was very simple. They had basically an Enigma rotor settings book, which um, contained like columns of dates, basically, for right. the year. Yeah. And every single day of the year next to it was written down. There was a, a set of three numbers. For, so, for instance, you'd have like June the 1st, 1942, mm. followed by three numbers, say like 04, 
26 and 12. Now, these numbers related to the rotors needed to be used in the German Enigma machines that day to crack the code. So he ensured that all Enigmas used on that specific day were all set up exactly the same way. If you had the machine but didn't have the book of dates and rotor settings, <laughs> you're fucked yeah. because the book was the key to understanding the codes yeah. because it contained the settings. And you're not going to guess the settings with over 100 quintillion possible you know, variations. Of course, you're not easy to be like, you know, you're just going to think, well, it's not nowhere near that. You won't even think of that figure. How would you get to that figure? It's not It's not a normal number. No. Like <laughs> clearly, imagine if, imagine if you're that rich. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> You've got more money than the atoms in the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like the, um, I like it when, like, for instance, they say that the codes are unbreakable. I love it when people say something can't be done. Yeah. Because somewhere around the world, Someone's going to start working on it and prove you wrong. And also, they updated these settings books monthly, swapping them um, and throwing the old books away, which made it even harder to crack because shit was constantly changing. There was no sort of coherent pattern to what they were doing unless you had these books. And like I say, with the books, it changed. And we did get access to the books with um, machine settings. For example, on March, I think it was March 20th, 1941, it was a German crawler called um, the Curbs, and it was captured off off the coast of Norway. It had two Enigma machines on board, and it had all the naval Enigma settings books for okay. the previous month. Now, this allowed the um, the German naval Enigma codes to be read only for a short period of time, but it gave our experts an insight into how they worked. Okay. Now, we were able to use them effectively until new military settings books came out, but then we'd be back in the dark again. We needed to come up with something a lot better than randomly stumbling into good luck. So how how do you use the Enigma? Well, firstly, the person sending out the message from like Nazi military command would look in the settings book mm. and they would select the relevant rotors stated for that date. This ensured his machine and all other machines around the world were set up in the correct manner. He then typed his message to be sent on the Enigma machine's typewriter. Yeah. As he did this, there's like a primitive display that would light up above the keyboard with a letter of the alphabet that are illuminated with light bulbs. So, for instance, if you type the word bomb into an Enigma, the letters on the display that light up might be R-K-I-P. That's the scrambled message. This is the code that the receiver gets. So you write that code down, the R-K-I-P, Mm. and you send that via Morse code to the front line. Like we said, the machines can't transmit or receive. Yeah. So after you've Sorry, everyone. I'm just moving the mic a bit. Sorry. So after you've, you've sent that code, a general thousands of miles away will be sitting at his Morse code receiver with another Enigma machine. He's already looked in the, the settings book, and he's chosen the correct rotors. So now he knows his machine is set up exactly the same way as every other one around the world. Yeah. And then he just waits, and then he gets a message. Beep, 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 you know, like a weird Morse code. <clears throat> now, it's encrypted. It makes no sense to him. He types the seemingly random series of letters, in our example, R-K-I-P, R-K-I-P, into the machine's keyboard. Mm. But as he types the letter R, the letter B will light up. Okay, so it's different, yeah. Okay. And then he writes B down. And yep. then he'll type in the letter K, and the letter O lights up, types in I. 
be. You know what I mean? And then as he goes through, he starts going through and the message will start, start to, to make sense. Yeah, yeah. And then he writes it all down and he receives the uh, receives the code. Bomb. Uh, and by the way, bomb doesn't relate to our KIP. I mean, that's just something we made up randomly to try and get it. And it doesn't spell Bob as well, as <laughs> you just did. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's, it's more complicated than that because if you continually press a, um, B, for instance, yeah. like in our example, you press B and the letter R lights up. So you would assume that the letter B relates to the letter R on the light board. Right. But it's complicated. Doesn't. But it doesn't because if you press the letter B again, you'll get another letter. Seemingly random letter of code. It okay, changes. So it's, it's in the order, so it, it you have to set the Enigma machine to the to whatever the settings you're given. And if you press B four times, it might say like say bomb. It might come out as B O M B. Well, if you press B and the letter R comes up on the board, you'll think that B relates to yeah. R. But if you press B again, it'll come up with like an E or yeah, something. It doesn't. It won't follow a specific cool. code. That's why it was really really difficult. One letter can be represented by many many other letters in a single code transmission. Which made it a complete mind fuck. Yeah, the sequence of it, isn't it, as well? So you got to make sure you get the sequence right, otherwise yeah, yeah, you're yeah. going to get some random bullshit, aren't you? Yeah. So we got <laughs> we got the Nazi machines. We'd opened them up, and we understood them mechanically and electrically. We built our own, which blows my mind because when you look at how complicated they are, mm. it's it's incredible that they even existed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let alone reproducing it. But we had our own called X machines. Um, without that book of dates and and rotor settings, we were fucked. We just couldn't set them up correctly. No. So, or so we thought, if it wasn't for a flaw in the Enigma machine's design, uh, and it's reasonably easy to explain, actually, how they could have changed things to make it a lot harder for us. So, like, an individual character or letter of the alphabet being coded into the Enigma will never be represented by itself. A will never be A. B okay. will be... Oh, um, yeah, there's no chance that if you pressed A 16 times, there'll be an A in it. You could press A forever until the end of the universe, and A will never be, will come up on the board. You can't code the, messi- the message, a letter, as itself. So, like, for the na- for instance, the name Robbo will never have an R, an yeah. O, or a B. It just won't. No, it'd be so like a Y-N-T or something like that. Something completely yeah, yeah, random, yeah, yeah. yeah. If they allowed a letter to be encrypted by the same letter... A for an A, for instance, the outcome of the war could have been completely different. Mm-hmm. See, our reproduction X machines, ones that we built, allowed letters to be represented by themselves, okay. which um, fucked up the Nazis. They said that they couldn't, they couldn't crack ours. There was no way because of that. So if they'd done this, it could have been completely different. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Well, yeah, because they would have in- intercepted the communications and gone, that's a false one, saying that when really it means this, and boom... You know what I mean? So so knowing this and seeing the flaw, as in like letters can't be reproduced, we looked for phrases that we knew were regularly used, like Heil Hitler. Yeah, yeah. Because most military messages ended with, with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, if a message did end with Heil Hitler, we knew that no characters or letters in the code would match the letter spelling Heil Hitler. No H, no I, no T. Okay. Knowing this and knowing that the letter is never represented by itself, we were able to begin to try and figure out how we could crack the code. And the, yeah, I bet you that also knocks the the quantillion things <laughs> down by quite a lot of those, just yeah. those three letters. Just as soon as you realise that yeah. <clears throat> and able to come up with a formula. Three words, sorry, not, yeah. So w- we also listened to the, um, the Nazi weather reports because it, it was sent out every day at six o'clock in the morning. And it followed a standard procedure 
The only details that changed were the actual weather details. Okay. Everything else in the report followed the same sort of structure. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the fu- they fucked up there. Yeah. Because they knew we knew the beginning and the end were the same. So this is all well and good. We've yeah, we're kind of it's kind of working out something, isn't it? Like a puzzle. It is like yeah. a puzzle. You sit there and you go, right? I know that corner and I know the top corner. So now we've just got to work inwards. Yeah. Basically. What does this information yeah, tell yeah. us about the rest of it? What can we see about the big picture from this little bit that we know? Um, so yeah, that's all. That's all well and good. Knowing the Nazi weather reports um, and, and and the phrases being repeated, we got our brightest mathematical minds in, and they started to crack the um, encrypted messages. But it took a long fucking time, which is not surprising because there's like a fucking over 150 quintillion of them. Yeah. So we'd crack codes that related to bomb raids that had already took place. Like weeks ago or something. Okay. Oh, so it's like a tester. You go back and you work it out, and then we go, okay. That well, that's just yeah, as yeah. fast as we could yeah, get yeah, it. We'd yeah. get a message on a Monday, and it Two took weeks us a month to, yeah, yeah. to crack it. Yeah. It, that sounds bad because people are already it's dead, not but low, not really. Not yeah. really because you, you're learning, which makes you you'll learn it quicker next time. You go, right, if that meant that, there's a chance that the next one is going to be the same. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah. You know. So, because obviously the faster a code can be broken, the better the intelligence was, and the more precisely we'd, we'd be able to act on it. So then you have to enter let a god godlike dude called Alan Turing. He comes on now. <coughs> he was um he was a guy working at Bletchley Park, which was the centre for code breaking in the UK during World War Two. Um and it was actually the forerunner of GCHQ actually, the um Bletchley Park. He 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 and his team worked um on <coughs> decoding the encrypted messages. Mm. And they are believed to have shortened the war between two to four years. Saving, I mean, I don't know how they can guess the amount of lies, but somewhere in the region between 14 and 21 million lies were saved. I suppose the only way they can work it out is an average, isn't it? They, they probably can work out what whatever the stats are so far, and over four years of that, averaging it, and you can go, that's roughly about right. Yeah, I mean, we, it's, you can't under, I mean, the, the work that was going on in like a hut in a field in England potentially saved 21 million people mm. it's incredible. crazy isn't it it's incredible he deserves an episode on himself Turing he does, does. Yeah. Um, I try to fit stuff in about him but he, there's just not enough time we, he needs one on it we'll do it we'll do one on him fuck it you know what I mean yeah it's, it's, it, yeah, because there was a lot of circumstances there to him which which um, screwed him over and yeah. obviously ended to him uh, popping himself really wasn't it so yep. here's a little bit about him uh, he was a computer scientist no shit yeah. mathematician Really? I thought he was a a butcher. (laughs) Yeah, logical mastermind. (laughs) Yeah. Crypto analysis, philosopher. He's also a theoretical biologist. And, um, I mean, nowadays, he's regarded as basically being the father of artificial intelligence. I suppose, yeah. So whilst at Bletchley Park, he and his team conceived, designed, and invented the world's first computer. Now, to say this is cutting edge uh, is an understatement. And if he failed... To what would be a, a completely different place no question no question the pressure was immense all the while people were being killed in huge numbers and the nazis were getting closer and closer and closer time was ticking fast it was in his 20s when he was doing this he was in his 20s it's fucking crazy that's nuts isn't it a smart fucking man he um he understood the flaw in the enigma machine and realized that if we really wanted to crack the codes in any useful way we've got to we've got to do it faster yeah We've got to do it faster, as simple as that, and a lot faster. Um, if, Like we say, if it, if a code could be deciphered, it could take days. That's no fucking good. All The bombing raids have taken place already. Yeah. Just, you've got 
old intelligence. So he was like, nah, fuck this, bruv. What we're going to do is we're going to build an electromechanical computer that does all the legwork for us by itself. Now, people were like, what? Looking at him like he was insane. It was beyond. I mean, you're looking in the 40s, coming up with a mechanical computer that can decipher codes was beyond what people could imagine. Yeah. It took someone like him having a cra- what seeming was a crazy idea and saying, no, we're going to fucking do this. Uh, it's, it's, I've invented AI, you know, a few short yeah, decades yeah, ago. Yeah, people yeah, were stabbing yeah. each other on horses yeah, and we hadn't right, even yeah. flown. That's it, yeah, yeah. And he was like trying to fucking... It's like, it was like medieval times not long ago. Yeah, and I mean, like, this case has come up with a machine which can come up with quantillion <laughs> fucking <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah. So in order to survive, I suppose, when threatened, we start to do incredible things uh, and, and make amazing new technologies. Mm. That's what staring at oblivion does, I suppose. Crack this or <laughs> yeah, die. Yeah, yeah. So at Bletchley, he worked with another dude called... Um, Gordon Welchman, um, and they came up with a code-breaking machine called the bomb. Uh, it got its name from the way it sounded whilst operational, like a ticking bomb. <laughs> but um, it was a ticking bomb in you know in a lot of ways because if you didn't fuck it, if that thing didn't work, that bomb is literally ticking for real and it's going to fucking get you. There were twelve thousand people working on that code. Yeah. Now the first bomb, the first bomb machine operational, was named Victory. And they weren't small. I mean, everyone sees computers now as the fit in the palm of my hand. Not back then. This thing was seven foot wide, six foot tall, weighed one ton, and it had 12 miles of wiring inside it. 12 miles and 97,000 individual components. I bet you they wish they had wireless shit going on back then. Fucking, yeah. You've got it in your hand there. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Exactly. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. They cost 100 grand each to make back then, which what? was about 4 million quid. So this was like... Um, this ain't no fuck around budget. No, this is like... They're developing some sort of, you know, mind that can end war by code. It's incredible. Quick, super quick sorting mind. It's like a, a puzzle mind. Thing. Yeah. No, I know what that is. Yeah. yeah. Without looking, with actually not looking at the picture, I know what that is. It's <laughs> yeah. nuts, isn't it? Yeah. And that's also a lot of money that a lot of people were thinking, hang on a second, you're, just, you're coming up with words here. Computers, artificial intelligence... It's not going to work. We don't even know what you're saying. It's a hell of a lot of money to risk. And that's how... That, well, their back was against the wall, I suppose. They're yeah. like, well, this better fucking work. This mm. better fucking work. Otherwise, we are Foxville without this. So the bomb machine was so complicated, so unbelievably complicated. I cannot do it justice. I mean, there's no way I can explain to you how it works. Not properly. Not a chance. Um, you've got to be like an engineer, mathematician, scientist, crypto analysis. Even a simplified explanation on how it works is complicated as shit. Yeah. But we'll um we'll take a robot's rise run at it. Um and I lifted the um the final explanation from uh I think it was Wikipedia.com and it had the the most simple way of explaining it. But it's still a mind fuck. Uh, you'll be able to tell which part I'm reading because it makes me sound clever. <laughs> okay. So as we said the Enigma machines use three scrambling rotors that can be set in twenty six different positions. And mm-hmm. the this the British bomb, the British bomb machine, contained the equivalent of thirty six Enigma machines. The bomb worked on the assumption that the encrypted message being received contained a known phrase at a specific part of the let of the message, like like High Hitler at the end of the uh, transmissions, as you yeah. said earlier, or the words "weather report" at the beginning of a weather report, and these r- were represented by um, a mathematical formula. Now, this is the bit that I lifted. This gave British cryptographers a clue about the mathematical cycle of the rotors and how they replace plain text letters. 
Once a series of these cycles was mathematically determined, the logic equation could be used to painstakingly decipher intercepts. The bomb worked on the concept that these cycles and the equations representing them could be replaced with electrical circuits. The Turing bomb replicated the rotors of the German Enigma machine, replacing the center reflecting rotor with a standard rotor that could be handset. The rotors were connected by a series of 26 parallel wires. The wires selected by the rotor positions determined the passage of voltage to the plug board. The machine then searched for various combinations of loops, wires, assigning each a value on the plain text cipher text row of diagonal board. A teleprinter decoded the message out on synchronized paper where it was read. Well, that makes complete sense. See what I fucking mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was trying to research this, yeah, going, how, what the fuck what am I going to... What does this mean, yeah? I'm just going to have to read it. Yeah. I'm just going to have to read the explanation, how it works. It's we still need, won't make we any need to sense. Get, if, if someone's got a free Enigma machine, they want to give us? <laughs> yeah, half a million quid. <laughs> we'll crack it open with a screwdriver. No! <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a lot of mumble-jumble going on inside these machines that none of us really understand, but all we need to know is that somehow you'd put in... A geezer come up with it in his mind. You'd enter a random series of letters, and within 15 minutes, a cr- cracked code would come out. The machine somehow checked 150 quintillion possible outcomes, and it's <laughs> told you which one. It actually worked on the on the assumption that it, it didn't tell you what it was. It told you what it wasn't. Okay, uh, right. That's how yeah. it works. It kind of worked backwards in a way. Um, I'd rather it just tell me the one thing that it was than the <laughs> everything that it wasn't, the quantillion things you've got to read through. Be like, no! <laughs> tell me what I want! I mean, and you can imagine these were incredibly important yeah. regarding these machines were crucial in, in defeating the Nazis. They cannot be un- underestimated how important they were. Mm. So once Turing got his machine up and running, the first Enigma codes deciphered by the bomb machine were personally carried out by Alan Turing himself. Okay. Because he knew where it worked. He was like, let's not fuck this up. This has got to be done right. And they related to the U-boat wolf packs lurking under the water in the North Atlantic. They were hunting us, basically. We decided to decipher these messages first because they were like huge boat convoys that were heading to the UK from America. Mm. And they were loaded up with hundreds of tons of supplies. Uh, and those country U-boats were, were lying in wait under the water and t- torpedoed the fuck out of the convoys as they came across. Right. Killing all the crew and taking down all the supplies we needed because they were trying to cripple us, cripple the country in multiple ways. And even Churchill said, if the attacks on U-boats, attacks from U-boats on the Atlantic supply convoys continue, the UK could face starvation. Oh, Shit was whack, man. <laughs> yeah, it did. Starvation? <laughs> Fucking hell. It's, it's madness, isn't it? That's how you, I mean... So important. What? Hang on. If these boats don't come in, we're going to starve to death. Yeah, that's it. That's potentially. That shows you how desperate think shit was. You know what I mean as well? Because if, like you say, if they if they were gone, everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of people are going to starve. You know we're, what I mean? It's not like them. these days. If a, something went down, they go, just get in the morning. Yeah, people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's um. So probably all insured, and probably someone <laughs> sitting again. Yes, I made a boatload of money. Quite literally, a boatload. But boom. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, these early decoded messages were useful because the Nazi U-boat commanders were telling each other where they were in the ocean. You know, mm. like they were plotting attacks, coordinating their positions, and spreading their boats out to hit as many Allied supply vessels as possible. So all we did was listen in and record when the U-boats say that where they said they were going to be and just motored around them. Like They'd be like, we're going to be in you know, whatever position. We're going to span out for like 15 miles. And we were like, fuck it, we'll just boat around them. Yeah, yeah. And the Nazis were like, what the fuck is going on? All of a sudden, they couldn't hit us. Like two weeks ago, they were smashing us. But now, 
we just disappeared, like yeah. vanished. But they knew we were still coming across. You fucked up, Hitler. We got better with you. They didn't suspect a thing, even though they weren't hitting us. They still didn't think that we'd broken the the code. They thought we were locating U-boats using radar, but we weren't. No. We were listening. And that was just the first effort. We got better, much better as time went by. At its peak, the guys and gals at Bletchley Park were intercepting and deciphering around 4,000 encrypted messages a day, which I'm sure you can see really turned the war around. Yeah, yeah. All these secret clandestine Nazi movements were now known. Essentially, we were being told every... It was like we were sitting around the table with them. Yeah. They just didn't know. Uh, the Germans couldn't communicate in secret anymore, but we could. So we'd got the upper hand, uh, and it was time to fucking kick Hitler's smug little fucking face in. Yeah, yeah. We're after you now, some. But we were trying to be clever. We're trying to be really clever about it, though, because we knew the Nazis were planning what they were planning, and we knew what was going to happen and when. We had to be very careful, though, very careful. Many times, we didn't actually act at all or even act in full force. Well, uh, you wouldn't want to because if if you dropped a hint that you knew by accident, like, you know what I mean, or just said, right, we're going to move. Why are they moving all them people there? They must know that we're coming in. That's exactly you know I mean? it. So you've got to try and sort of counter-attack them, aren't you? That's yeah. the best way to do it. Yeah. If I mean, like, if they started to lose massive numbers of planes and, like, you know, battleships, they'd be like, what the fuck? Two weeks ago, we went on challenge, and now every fleet is getting ambushed in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. How is that possible? They're listening. They've cracked Enigma. That's what they did. And then they just changed the way that they coded the messages. Yeah. And for instance... On the 14th of November, 1940s, the Nazis launched a huge aerial raid on Coventry. Fucking, I mean, shoot, massive. It destroyed two-thirds of the city's buildings in a single night, killing... Fuck. I know, mate, killing about 600 people. Now, apparently, the teams at Bletchley Park knew this, and they'd told Downing Street, and Churchill was, um, he was like, well, we d I don't want to act on it, because if they come over and we've beefed up our aircraft defences and we've got all our tanks away from the production lines and we moved all our people and we uh, ambushed the s their planes coming across, they'll fucking know. They'll know they'll that know we've that got we prior know, knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So in some respects, he kind of let commentary be sacrificed. Mm. Bastard. <laughs> you bastard. Dark shit, but... You know. Well, if it ends up... It's, it sounds weird, though, but I know it's horrible losing people, but is it better to lose, say, 20,000 people than it is... Two million, of course. Yeah. I know it's, it sounds rough for the 20,000 people who die and then people who are related to them, but it's better than two million people dying, isn't it? So I think as rough as it sounds, it was the right option, wasn't it? The, yeah, right, the right choice to do. Got a box clever. Yeah, you um, got it. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, you if don't want to show your hand. If you can stop the war and stop any, any more of this happening, then... You know, you've got to do it, haven't you? The Enigma messages being decoded obviously proved incredibly useful during the blitz because we knew the tactical orders being sent out. We were able to get the civilians out of danger areas and like into bomb shelters and into the London underground. We'd get more anti-aircraft guns. We'd install them around London. And the RAF actually had Spitfires on standby ready to launch surprise intercept attacks on the Nazi bombers right. travelling over because we fucked them up, man. We'd, we'd figured it out. In North Africa, decoded Nazi Enigma messages proved invaluable information about um, like the supply lines to Nazi troops because the messages decoded were immensely detailed regarding the North African routes to the point where we even knew which ships carried fuel and which ones carried weapons and which ships carried fuel uh, like food. We, we, we knew how many boats were there and which ones 
We knew the individual ships. Yeah, yeah. It was fucking incredible. And we acted on this information, only sinking the boats that carried weapons or ammunition. We didn't touch the supply ships with food and water. Mm. We tried our best to like mitigate killing everybody, <laughs> basically. Yeah. We just thought, let's take the weapons down, let the food get through. Well, yeah, that's because we're not that's a humane way of doing it, isn't it, really? You know, I mean, we don't want a war. I know we're in a war, but you, you get rid of their weapons, then that will hopefully make them surrender. It obviously won't, but like you'd hope that that was going to ruin them a bit. Yeah. And you don't want to shoot the food. The innocent people in Germany, you know, okay, some of them, quite a lot of them probably were on Hitler's side, but some of them are thinking, what the fuck? Yeah. And these innocent people, you can't let them starve. Nah, we were trying. We were trying. We wanted to end the war, but without killing people, mm. or as little as we could. Uh, I think and not that little fucker. Nah, he's a wanker, he yeah. was. I know, yeah. Just trying to fuck everybody up constantly. I'm telling you, that drinking competition we were on about, he'd be a pussy. I reckon he'd be sick after two shots. Hitler? Yeah. He'd outdo you on the uh, meth front. Wasn't he a fucking meth head? I don't know. I'll just chin him. Fuck him. <laughs> Rip his Bang his head off the bar and say, you drink too much, mate. Bitch! <laughs> <laughs> Let's play some music. Yeah, man. a little drink and then come back and we've got some more examples of how the uh, cracked Enigma codes were used in battle. Yeah, man. We were just saying then we were, we were having a drink. I was like, God, this it's a heavy podcast. This yeah. one, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to to listen to, as in like uh, work out what's going to. on. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, I think it was. We were, I was saying to Rob, it's like once we start, once you start figuring figuring out what you're going to be looking at your research and whatever, you get to a point where you think this is not like a. I can't. I'm not going to back out from this podcast, but it's 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 not. It's not what you expected in a yeah, way. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's more like, oh, really? It's, there's no like dramatic fucking, ah, there's no, no stabbing or anything but, like that. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it is an amazing thing though, isn't it, when you yeah, think about incredible. it? So what we're going to do now is we're going to go through a couple of um, examples where the uh, the decoded messages proved incredibly useful, followed by the, the last one, the D-Day landings, which is probably the most important. But we'll start in April 1940, and then we were using um, intelligence directly from deciphered Enigma codes. Mm. Um, we sank eight German destroyers um, in Norway. Now, the Germans were suspicious that this was... How mm. did they get that? Yeah. yeah. It's possible that they were decoding the messages, but they thought, nah. Was it just coincidence? Did they just have something there and saw them? And yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they were like, nah, I don't think so. It's, I mean, it's, it's impossible. Yeah. Well, can't do yeah. it. That's the good thing about when people are fucking stubborn, isn't it? I suspected they, re- they thought that in order to crack these codes... Uh, at a, a rate that was useful, it would in, it would uh, involve the invention of machines that didn't yet exist. Mm. So they and because the, they knew that we weren't going to do it just with pen and paper. It'd be interesting to to do something on the person who makes the codes up for the Germans as well for the the, the um the, well it's it, the, nobody actually made the co- it was just a, the way that the. Uh, electricity went through the machine. Okay, so it they, wasn't yeah. like a, no they one just actually thought this is it. fucking marvelous. Yeah. This is gonna yeah, it's crazy. No one's gonna do it. Yeah. In May 1941, we intercepted and uh, deciphered messages that related to the location of supply ships for the Bismarck and uh, the cruiser called Prince Eugene. Uh, the Bismarck and Eugene were heading towards the Atlantic 
to attack Allied shipping boats heading to the UK, like the U-boats were doing. Now, these battleships didn't travel alone uh, because they were so fucking massive. They had support vessels carrying fuel and supplies. So these decoded messages told us that the Bismarck and the Eugene were already taking on highly trained crew. Mm. We knew that they were putting out a cause like, we not, we want our top fucking crew on this one. And we knew that the Bismarck um, like commanders were requesting additional navigation charts from headquarters. Yeah. We sent Spitfires out on the patrols over Norway, over the coast, to try and hunt the fuckers down. Now, the Bismarck and its support vessels were spotted by 12 Swedish aircrafts around the same time. I think the Nazis thought this boat was unstoppable. Um, they weren't really too concerned about, you know, keep it hidden, but whatever. Mm. What are you going to yeah, do yeah. if you see it? You ain't going to take it out with an aeroplane. The Swedes sent um, one of their cruisers out to investigate, and it followed the Bismarck flotilla for nearly two hours at a safe distance, like 20 mile away, just reporting back formations and shit. So we knew where they were going to be, and now we've got eyes on the ground. At the same time, the Nazis knew they'd been spotted by the Allies, and they sent out their own recon planes to Scotland and over to the Scottish harbours to confirm that our aircraft carriers and our battleships were still anchored in port. Now, this gave the Nazis confident that we were unaware of their plans. But they weren't. Exactly. They they thought, you need your big boats to take us down yeah, yeah. Sam, and we're in, we're in, keep going. They're yeah. still in the harbour, mm. so you don't fucking... I mean, you people don't know, were, you don't know. Yeah, people yeah. were brave back then. Those Spitfire pilots sent out on the recons to track the Bismarck were young. They were like in their 20s, mm. you know what I mean? And they were fighting the Nazis head on with almost no training. Yeah, just yeah, getting that plane, go. Putting their <laughs> yeah, li- yeah, yeah, putting their lives down for to save others that they didn't even... Mad respect to them boys, yeah, mad man. respect. Oh, by the way, this was the Bismarck's first and only mission. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in today's money, it cost 2.6 billion Fuck you. Which is an expensive. Yeah, fuck yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. yeah. So whilst our manoeuvres, the Royal Navy's HMS Hood and HMS Prince of Wales engaged the Bismarck and her supporting fleet. They were like, fuck this, boys. Let's get the dirty bastards. Let's just go for them. The British ships attacked the German ships head on. They just motored at them. Yeah, yeah. They just turned and bombed at them, firing at them with their forward guns. Oh, that's a fucking statement, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Come on, boys. Yeah. You know fuck I mean? you, so fuck you, isn't it? Again, it's like I'm, I'm having you. So we pinned the fucking throttle and all the things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now the Bismarck returned fire. Now they hit the hood. The shell caused an explosion which detonated about 110 tons of cordite propellant, killing 1,419 people on board that one ship alone. Only oh. three survived. That pissed Winston Churchill off. Yes. That was one of our big boats, and he was not very fucking. You see, you can see with even with intelligence. This is sh- still dangerous as fuck, yeah, man. Yeah. We yeah. know where they're going to be. That was an odd boat, that double odd boat they they bring over, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So after the after the hood went down, the Bismarck began to unload on the other boat that was with it, the Princess, uh, the Prince of Wales, and that took a beating as well. But during the battle, the Bismarck was hit three times, causing a hell of a lot of damage. Um, the Prince of Wales had civilians on board. What? Okay. They weren't accidentally there. No, they were like, uh, yeah. does anyone know how to fucking operate this engine? Yeah, like, we could do with you getting on here and giving us a hand. What, 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 what are we doing? Uh, just, just the cruise. Yeah, we don't. We don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. don't. Do you know how to fire a gun? Yeah, get on deck then. Yeah, yeah. There's a few deck chairs out and there's a swimming pool on it. Come along, come on. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Was that? Oh, by the way, can you can you uh, <laughs> do this boat? Can you you know yeah. direct us somewhere? Yeah. Anybody know how to navigate a war vessel? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, not yeah. really, no. But I worked at Quickfit. Oh, you'll do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know how an engine. You know how works. to fix a bike. 
motorbike. Yeah, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, that's how bad it was, yeah, man. Yeah. We were running sort of on 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 fumes at mm. this point, getting fucking civilians on to fight them. Fully trained Nazi, you know, boats. <laughs> their prize crew, and they're attacking fucking a butcher. Who's yeah. like, you know what right, I mean? He's yeah. fucking chucking grenades overboard. At yeah, yeah. It's fucking crazy, man. Um, but even though the uh, Prince, uh, the Bismarck was hit, uh, the Prince of Wales limped away. But the Bismarck, for some reason, carried on out into the Atlantic to, to continue on with its primary mission of, of fucking up the the convoys coming. Oh, across. so they they thought they were okay, sort of thing. Well, they were damaged. After, yeah, yeah, but, but they, they thought, fuck it, we, we were fine. We can yeah. carry on. Well, they just didn't think that we knew what, what they were going to do. Yeah, but we fucking did. Yeah, we were listening. Yeah. So, so they, they should have had a kind of hint when we when we we had them then. You yeah. know what I mean? So what happened is the Royal Navy ordered all of its warships in the area to join the assault. Not all vessels could join in though because of fuel sh- shortages. The Nazis were fucking up the convoys. Mm. We couldn't even fill up our own fucking boats. Yeah. So only a few of the Navy vessels were able to get into the battle. And it was a crazy battle. Our boats had to zigzag around. Um, do, you re- do you reckon by that point though that was um, from the German side? Um, well, it's obviously naive, but what I mean is like. Uh, did that were was it like a case? I still don't know. That was just a bit of luck again, or shit. We're desperate now. We just need to go for it. I think that they uh, we we knew where it was because of Enigma, but they saw our Spitfires, so they probably thought the recon planes had spotted it. Right, okay, but, but it wasn't. We knew what they were doing. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. sent the recons out to look at pinpoint where they were. Yeah, yeah. Because we knew where they were going to be. And the good thing about that as well, it also tricks them into thinking, well, they, they it's not a machine which has worked this out. It's yeah. them planes, yeah. Exactly. But because the Bismarck was hit, it couldn't out-accelerate the UK uh, Navy, uh, and it was attacked again. Now, we, sh- we shot 2,800 shells at the boat whilst chasing it, hitting it 400 times. And because of the damage, the Bismarck was unable to manoeuvre. Its rudder was fucked, and all it could do was motor around in a big fuck-off circle in the middle of the Atlantic. Shit, bail. Yeah, yeah exactly, man. Oh, fuck. How are you going to get out of that? Well, you're not. No. It's as simple you're as stuck that. On a, you're stuck on a track, it's like, isn't it? So it's going round and round. <laughs> so knowing the ship was unmanoeuvrable un- and basically just... Fuck. A pile of shit now, yeah. A message was sent from the Bismarck to German naval command that simply said, we will fight to the last shell, long live the Fuhrer. What? Don't die for fucking Hitler. Yeah. You know what I mean? But we were like, have this bitch! Yeah, and just no, f- carried on pounding it. Yeah, that is quite a frightening um, call, especially even for Hitler, because he'd be like, they've destroyed that big boat. Basically, they know... That call is a desperate, not a desperate plea, but it is. It's like, we we, we are fucked. We're going to fight to the death. A, in other words, yeah. we know we're getting down. Yeah. We're just going to keep fighting. The Basically saying, this is the last message yeah. you're going to get from this yeah. boat. Yeah. I know it's its first mission and it costs a couple of billion, but sorry. Yeah, it's one of them. You probably make sure you do die. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be swimming back because they go, fucking hell, have they got us? And they go, well, you're going to get killed anyway now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hitler would have been screwing, yeah. realised that the boats that are taking him down had like plasterers on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Brickies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Launching bricks at them. Yeah. It's probably <laughs> like 2,000 of the missiles were bricks. <laughs> it's like 13-year-old paper newspaper boys yeah. on there. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. But it was eventually sunk by torpedoes. Now, survivors reported seeing the captain of the Bismarck, Captain Lindemann, standing at attention on deck as the ship went down. He just fucking stayed on it like, nope, we're going down. Fair play to him. As we said, the Bismarck didn't travel alone. Escorting it were five fuel tankers and two supply ships and a further two scout ships. After the Bismarck went down, the Navy were told to only sink three 
isolated support ships no more. They were instructed not to target the tanker and its support vessel. Now, the thought was destroying so many Nazi ships in one go could raise eyebrows at German military command. They yeah. might think that we were onto them and deciphering the codes. But by chance, the Navy found two ships and sank the fuckers anyway. We just hammered a lot of them. Now, the Germans did, in fact, investigate this, but concluded that yeah, they have not compromised the Enigma codes. They couldn't have breached it. It's impossible. Nah, it's just a, it's just a recon planes. It's just a recon planes. Wrong dickheads. Yeah, your uh, time is up. Yeah, we are on. coming for Stop you. Stop being so fucking naive and sh- and fucking stubborn and realize that we have cracked it. Yeah, we're gonna get you yeah. now. Out of the Bismarck's two thousand two hundred and twenty-one crew, only a hundred prisoners were taken. So they lost two thousand one hundred twenty-one people to battle. What? It's brutal, isn't it? Yeah. That is brutal. There was a geezer called Tommy Tommy Byers, and he was a, he was a dude in the in the British Navy at the time, and he, he participated in the Battle of the Bismarck. And he says once it was crippled and moting around in a big circle, getting blasted to fuck on fire, spewing fuel, it actually raised a black flag, which would have been well creepy to see a giant battleship on fire, people running around on deck waving flags. Now the flag is actually the black flag is a sign for parley, which basically is a call for truce. He was also aware of Morse code signals coming from the Bismarck over to us, calling for surrender. And a number of the Bismarck's crew were on deck waving semaphore flags. When yep. They're like the flags that convey, like, you know, a message, coded like um, flags, basically. They wanted to surrender and live. Now, the top Navy brass in the UK were told about the pleas and reported it back to Churchill. But he was like, no, I've ordered it to be sunk. He was pissed off and he wanted to get revenge for the loss of the HMS Hood and her 1,400 crew. He was like, nah, dude, send her down. Mm. So he could have, we could have saved thousands, but, but he was gone, like... He was so pissed off, basically. He was like, fuck them. Yeah, Let yeah. them go down. <laughs> like, but some other next level shit went down that could have been in the... Mo- this one's mental. In August 1941, the Nazis captured a... Um, sorry, we captured a Nazi U-boat yeah. called U-570. Now, we knew it was under the water lurking around, and we attacked it and captured it with using depth charges. We just depth charged the fuck out of it and yeah. forced it to surface. And when it popped up, our Navy vessels were around it with fucking guns pointing at them. Yeah. And the crew had to get out onto the deck of the of the U-boat and abandon ship because they thought it was going to sink. They were going to go down. Now, we picked the crew up, and the Navy took them on board our vessels and took them below decks um, so they couldn't see our attempts to stop their U-boat from sinking. We mm. wanted to cover their eyes so they didn't know what the fuck we were going on. And the, in fact, the U-boat commander, he was called uh, Commander Lemp, was shot whilst he was swimming back to the U-boat to try and sink it because he knew <laughs> what we were going to do. Yeah, yeah. We'd got them all off and we were like, right, let's get back on that boat and fucking nick it. Yeah. And he was like, nine, yeah, yeah. trying to take it. Down. Mate, don't die for Hitler. Yeah, fuck it out. That's some extreme... Extreme, like he was willing to die. Yeah, yeah, well, even like if he'd got to the U boat and sank it, well, what, what are you going to do then? You're in the you're in the ocean with no boat. Yeah, the thing the thing is as well, if, if he did get if we caught him and kept him, sort of thing, was it the fact that Hitler thought would have said to him, "You're going to die anyway, yeah, so you may as well just do it." You know it's what I mean? Who knows? It's fucking it is nuts, isn't it? Now the Nazi military command thought that they destroyed all the secret documents on board and any details, you know, regarding the Enigma codes were safe. But they hadn't acted fast enough because once we boarded the sub, once we got their crew off and they were below decks, handcuffed or whatever, we got on board and we found copies of encrypted signals and shitloads of documents that 
were really helpful in um, deciphering messages. These were sent back to Bletchley Park and the Code Breakers where they gained massive insights. Yeah. So what we did then is we stabilised the submarine, tied it off to the back of the boat, and we were like, yoink, that's ours now. We towed it back to port, mm. repaired it, inspected it, repaired it, figured out how it worked, and then sent it back out onto active service. It carried out three combat patrols with right. a full Navy crew, and it even sunk another Nazi Fucking awesome. How fucking crazy it's the is that? the hardest boat in the world. Just going, fuck it. The Nazis didn't even suspect a thing. Their own boats are hitting us. Yeah, yeah. So this made it the first and only U-boat to be used on both sides. I suppose, it, I suppose it's good because if if for some reason they don't, you know, they think it's one of theirs, possibly. I know sometimes I'm not, they will probably going on a second, that shouldn't be there. But yeah. finally go, well, it's one of ours. And then bosh, and what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it, man. The yeah. crazy fucking group of fucking Royal Navy dudes on, yeah. on board a Nazi sub going, this is great. Yeah, this is fucking they awesome. They have no idea. They would have, they, I reckon they would have absolutely loved it as yeah. well. I reckon they'd be going, yeah. Well, we, like we, pushed, we pushed it um its abilities to the limit to test them. Like we yeah, took yeah, it down. It said like well, you would do, wouldn't you? Because you want to know what what they they are capable of. Yeah, they said it went down something like 170 meters, um, but we actually pushed it down to 240. So I said, what? You're risking death. Don't kill yourselves. Yeah, you know what I mean. By 1945, we were basically decrypting almost all of the daily German Enigma messages, uh, but the Germans still hadn't got a fucking clue. I think it was probably because. Come on, you thick fuckers. Yeah, Hitler was a bit of a. He was a. Is he, he was a control freak. Is I don't think he was. Though? I think he was probably being nudged by people that this is not fucking right. Yeah, he's they like, know, <laughs> yeah, they know something. They must know something because this is all happening. But he's he's just he could be desperate. He could be like you know it can't they can't be because you know we're winning the war. What's going on? Too you much, know what I mean? Too much meth. Yeah. So then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because the Nazis in these in these final messages towards the end of the war, they were openly discussing their plans and movements, just completely, unknowingly handing us the Allies. Massive amounts. Of, we were basically listening in to their military plans as if we were part of the Nazi command. Yeah. We were okay. just like, all right, they're going over there. Wicked. I suppose potentially the most important thing that the code breakers did um, was um, helping out in the D- in the D-Day landings. Now, I didn't realize they did what they did here. Okay. This is crazy. Because through deciphered Enigma codes, we were able to figure out what type of German military present was in the Normandy area prior to the D-Day landings, which, by the way, involved 130,000 fucking troops. That's mind-boggling. Mm. 130,000 troops in one fucking mad fight. <laughs> it's crazy. What? You know what I mean? It's hard to imagine. So because these messages were so good, we in Normandy, we knew how many tanks they had, how many troops were there, we knew everything. We knew the positions of the artillery. We knew the full fucking works. It was a literal map. Because we knew this information well in advance, we were able to fool the Nazis big style, like proper fucking slap in the face stuff. We filled them with misinformation during what was called Operation Fortitude, the lead up to D-Day. And basically, we allowed a, a few of our messages to be intercepted by the Nazis, which told the Germans that the D-Day landings were going to take place in a different place and a different time. Mm. So the Germans were expecting an invasion at Calais, not Normandy. So they beefed up the area, expecting a massive battle. We watched them, like, putting up artillery and mobilising tanks and getting troops. We were like, you dummies, it's not even going to happen there. Mm. They're definitely buying this plan. Yeah, yeah. Look at them. Yeah, they're, they're putting stuff there, yeah, yeah. But it's not even, you know what I mean? It was next-level deception. We even made a fake army called the First US Army Group, which we claimed in our messages, which we knew were being intercepted deliberately. Mm. We claimed it had a million men 
ready to go into battle. <laughs> ready to yeah. fight to the death. We even made fake barracks in Kent. We put up um, like just makeshift buildings, um, like tents and shit like that. To make it look like that there's camping barracks going on, yeah. ready to go, yeah. It was that all that was made by a UK film studio. Oh right, real, like, Fuck, we'll, we'll do it. It's so basically know. a set. We knew the Nazis were sending uh, aerial reconnaissance planes over to photograph yeah, yeah. Um, this, you know, fake army of a million men. So we even made fake aeroplanes, left them out in fields, so the Nazi <laughs> recon planes would go. Look, there's all the planes they're going to use. We we created um, fake military radio traffic around the area, so they could intercept that to sort of simulate a, um, a military getting ready for a, for a huge invasion. And they took it hook, line, and sinker. And we knew this because their message the message we were intercepting we could literally see them amassing tanks and militaries in the wrong area yeah we were like this is fucking great yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone else is sitting there ready going great bitches yeah, yeah, yeah. we dropped fake troops on parachutes along the coast <laughs> to draw what, attention sex dolls pretty much mate. <laughs> to draw attention from the real parachute paratroopers now the, the dummies look at, them, that we look at them they look shocked the mouths were open <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the dummies that we dropped even played the sound of gunfire Oh, so, <laughs> so the Nazis were like, they're shooting at us, and yeah, then, yeah. then they'd start shooting back. And yeah. then when, once they'd started shooting, it was just carnage. I bet they were like, that. when they, if they approached them when they landed, went, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, they sent um, some, I believe, it, SAS troopers down with them as well, just to you know, actually, real people. Yeah, just a few. They were fucking brave fuck, dudes. Just saying, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so when we, we when we stormed the uh, beaches at Normandy, thousands of people did die, but we effectively caught them unaware. Um, we were able to secure the beaches, ready for the invasion of Europe, which was critical. Now that must have pissed the Nazis off. They must have known by that point, then, because something was up. Yeah. yeah, they must have known. They must have known that it was obviously a fake transmission. They must have known we knew where everything was. They must. They must have by that point clicked on it. Uh, I bet it must have been a great moment though, when when we went, we've worked out the codes. Yeah. Imagine that. Everyone would be. I'd be sitting there with brandy. Going, <laughs> drinking brandy, having a big party. Everyone just gets so drunk. Yeah. Does any work? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just get bombed up. Four, like four year piss up. Should we actually use it? No. <laughs> Still happy about it. So all this came about because of Alan Turing, basically. We said Alan Shearer then. Alan Shearer. Yeah. I mean, what? How would we treat such a an amazing dude? You know, the one that potentially saved tens of millions of lives and ended the war. Um, we must have, you know, given him a knighthood, done everything we could to help him. Wrong. No, we didn't. Because we're bastards. He was gay. So, so fucking what? Yeah. Big deal. He was prosecuted in 1952 for being a homosexual. And he was he volunteered to take, um, on his own back, chemical castration instead of going to prison for being gay. So it's fucking crazy. It is, isn't it? You know what I mean? He He, he does this for... Not just the Western world, but the world. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying that he, it's him who stopped the war, because clearly, you know, the bombings, the nuclear weapons being used, and, you know, Hitler being surrounded in, in Berlin, everything has its place, but this is a big part of what happened. Yeah. And, uh, no, man, we just fucked him over, because he likes sucking dick. What's yeah. the big deal? Yeah. He's not gassing anyone. No, <laughs> exactly, yeah. So he... um. He actually committed suicide. It was on the 8th of June, 1954. And I think it was like his housekeeper, I believe, found him dead. He killed himself. Well, we think he killed himself. It's not 100% confirmed. Using um, cyanide, basically okay. uh, a cyanide-poisoned apple. He took a bite out of the apple. They found him dead and he had, there was an apple next to him. Now, there was like a kind of a romantic um, 
analogy that the Apple icon in on Apple computers with a bite taken out of it is a sort of a nod to to Turin doing what he did. Okay. Know, but apparently that's bollocks. Yeah. So yeah, we fucked Turin over, man. It's not good, is it? No. Geezer saved twenty one million lives, possibly or whatever it was. You know yeah. what I mean? I just thought it was outrageous when I heard that. I mm. was like, can't, you can't. I mean, I knew it anyway, but when you actually read into it, it's just Jesus fucking Christ. It's not on, is it? It's not right. It's not on. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't, man. So that's the Enigma machine. That was heavy podcast yeah. for me. That was it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to get your head around what actually was achieved. Yeah. Even though it's been told in front of you and how the machine actually worked. You yeah. know what I mean? It's 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 just crazy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. The banters were lower that week because it's difficult to banter about electromechanical computers in the 1940s. Yeah, it's, hard, it's hard to do that, yeah. Let's be honest, that's a very specific uh, thing to have banter about. Yeah, I, when, like I was saying before, once I started looking into it, I was like, Can, really, shall we do something else? I thought, nah, fuck it. It's an in, it's interesting and important subject. It is what it is. Let's just rock and roll with it and see what happens. Mm. But we've got to end this podcast now and fire up the um, the Discord and get in contact with our boys over in Australia. Yeah, man. To commence podcast number two. Yeah. Uh, which is, um, we're going to be on Your Week in Stupid in, I don't know, some point today. Yeah. Uh, so when we know about that, I'll put links up so you can all laugh at me and Rob um, and Alex Kane in us. Yeah. So, um, it's going to be good. Thanks for listening. Sorry it was a bit of a heavy one, but you know, whatever. Fuck you. Go fuck <laughs> yourself. <laughs> See you later. See ya. <laughs>